0: In August, researchers described using the genome editing technology CRISPR-Cas9 to correct a mutation that leads to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy in human embryos. The accomplishment moves the field a step closer to more widespread use of germline gene editing. But much work remains to be done, and there are ethical issues that still need to be addressed. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with George Church, a professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Church has written a perspective article about what comes next in the effort to repair human DNA. Dr. Church, you write in your article that using CRISPR Cas9, Ma and colleagues were able to increase from 50% to 72% the proportion of embryos that did not inherit this dominant disease allele. How important is that accomplishment in the context of moving toward clinical applications for germline repair?
1: Well, it entirely depends on how that alteration occurred, because if it occurred by loss of a major chunk of the male chromosome, which has not yet been proven or disproven, losing a large piece of DNA rather than correcting it makes it much less suitable for clinical use. So we're still waiting for the definitive data to disambiguate those possibilities.
0: What were the limitations of previous gene editing efforts, and can you say whether this latest research actually is a leap forward or are we still waiting to find out?
1: One of the fundamental problems with embryo editing is that even if you do it very early, which this group did about the earliest stage, which is co-injecting with the sperm, you still end up with mosaicism. That is to say, not every cell in the developing embryo has exactly the same outcome. Some will be not edited, some will be edited the way you'd like, and some will be edited some other way. And this group is not Completely ruled out the possibility of some mosaicism because you need to determine that the loss of the male allele is the conversion to the female allele and not just some loss of information. So it's a little too early to say whether this has clinical impact. And there are alternatives to editing embryos that, that could avoid this cardiomyopathy and other genetic diseases.
0: So you say in your article that one future step toward repairing the human germline could involve getting that fraction of unaffected embryos closer to 100%. Do you see that as being feasible in the near future? And is that something that the MA approach might eventually lead to, or is it going to be a totally new approach, you think?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's always room for improvement. There's no fundamental law of physics that, that we've bumped up against yet. I think one way that already works, but not yet in a clinical format, is if you have clonal precursors to a cell, then you can... Check each clone and see which one has exactly what you want on target and nothing off target. And we and other groups have shown that this works, but you would have to adapt that for, say, producing gametes rather than waiting until it's an embryo. But that would solve two things. It would solve the mosaicism problem and it would also solve the problem of embryo loss because there's some major fraction of society, maybe half of them, don't want to see embryo loss that you get in in vitro fertilization procedures. They see that as loss of life, and so this would avoid that by editing sperm rather than embryos. So there are a couple of potential advantages of that route.
0: So that earlier intervention, intervening before sperm are formed, how close are we to the necessary technology to make that happen?
1: Many of these things, the procedures have been tested either in vitro or in animals, which is the appropriate thing to do before you go into clinical trials. I think all of these procedures require additional efforts in vitro and in animals before they're ready for clinical trials. I think the sperm editing is a little further off, but we're talking about months here, not decades.
0: So looking at the regulatory side, you mentioned in your article potential conflicts between a recent report from the National Academies on germline editing and the FDA's approval process for new therapies. If the National Academies restrictions were actually put in place, How would that affect future research and bringing all of this to the clinic?
1: Well, the National Academy said that there were certain circumstances which germline editing would make medical sense and should be allowed. And the FDA rules for approval are fine. It's just that there's a rider in a congressional bill that is up for annual renewal that prevents the FDA from even considering an application. So normally, the FDA would have an investigational new drug process and then they would go through safety and efficacy testing. And there's an exception made here, and I think the NAS report would suggest that there are circumstances where they should go through the normal FDA process testing for safety and efficacy.
0: So thinking about other concerns, in a related perspective article, Quick talks about the intergenerational effects of germline gene editing and raises the possibility that we'll need long-term monitoring of children and maybe even grandchildren of research participants when these technologies come into clinical trials. So if that's true, how should researchers approach these trials? What kinds of safeguards are going to be necessary?
1: Well, I think this is true of any therapy. There could be long-term effects, and it's sometimes called phase four. Is like after you get through all the standard trials and gets into the population, you keep monitoring so, for example, chemotherapy, which you use in cancer treatment, there can be long-term effects where, for example, you can get secondary cancers due the chemotherapy, or you can affect the germline where you can have random mutations in the germline that could affect generations and grandchildren. So I think it's always a good idea to keep evaluating new foods and drugs, but it doesn't alter the fact that what you're mainly looking for is something where the benefits outweigh the risks.
0: So, finally, how can we simultaneously encourage discussion about the ethical issues such as those, and at the same time proceed with the development of new gene editing technology?
1: Well, the technologies are advancing by leaps and bounds. I mean, this is an exponential field where both reading and writing genomes, broadly speaking, it's not just CRISPR here that's undergoing a revolution. And to some extent, the exact way that you approve individual drugs, whether they're somatic or germline therapies... Is not going to affect the breathtaking rate of technology improvement. It's the other way around. As the technology gets better and better, we become more and more confident in its safety. I think once we have more somatic gene therapies in use, it's also going to impact the discussion about germline. And In a way, we're getting, kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves as we should have dozens of somatic gene therapies in place, especially since germline has another solution. In fact, all of the therapies have another solution, which is on genetic counseling. Genetic counseling has more or less eliminated many genetic diseases, so it's a great alternative in some cases.
0: Thank you, Dr. Church.